I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across Europe, MLS, or wherever else they play their club football. The USMNT has two big friendlies coming up. They play Germany this Saturday afternoon, October 14th, and then Ghana on the following Tuesday night. On today's show, we're going to preview these two matches and talk about what we'll be watching for when they get underway. And to help me do that, I've invited Ryan Tolmich to join the show. Ryan is the American soccer correspondent for Goal. Ryan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Frank. I appreciate you having me. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to talk about going into these two games. A lot, a lot happening all through the U.S. men's national team. So, yeah, excited to uh, dive into it and discuss some of the fun things going on. Yeah, these are, you know, the Germany game especially, I've had marked on my calendar. And Ghana is a big game too, but I've been so looking forward to these games. So, I'm... Um, glad the moment is is finally upon us um let's start with that germany game okay it's saturday afternoon it's about one hour before the kickoff you see those lineups get announced when you take a look at those what are you going to be looking for i think i mean we'll start with the obvious one is just what does the midfield look like and does it have geo reina in it i think there's going to be a big minutes restriction on Gio during this camp. You know, Greg Berhalter already said that he's going to be looking to ease him in in the way that he did with Flo Balogun last camp where you give him maybe a half here, a half there to kind of get his legs under him just because he hasn't played much. But when you look at the U.S. midfield, what's it going to look like? You know, you have no Tyler Adams, so that, that messes with your ability to have a number six. And you have a limited Gio Reyna and no Malik Tillman, which messes with your ability to have a number 10 in a way. So how do you kind of line this midfield up? Do you have, you know, the way Greg Berhalter has kind of always had it with a number six and then two number eights? Or do you have, you know, you know two deep lying midfielders and a number 10? So that's that's kind of the big one here, just because it's going to be a big talking point throughout this cycle is do they keep the MMA midfield of Musa McKenney Adams for another cycle? Or does someone like Reyna or Tillman kind of slot in? as a more attacking presence. Now, it doesn't have to be a concrete answer necessarily. It could be one that depends on opponents or situations or availability or everything like that. But in this Germany game, I think it'll be interesting to see how the U.S. lines up and how they kind of approach playing a team of of that caliber. And I should mention, you mentioned Tillman. Uh, he was a late scratch of the roster due to injury, so we got to remember that. I'm really disappointed because I was looking forward to seeing him maybe slot in there after... I was thinking maybe Gio takes 45 minutes and then, you know, maybe Tillman comes in at the number 10 if that's how Burhalter arranges it. But I agree. That's kind of the first thing I'm going to be looking for. And I think because of the quality of the opponent, I don't think there's going to be much, quote unquote, like experimentation going on. I think Burhalter's he's going to put out the midfield that he thinks 100% he feels gives us the best chance to win and, um, Maybe he'll be a little bit more conservative than he normally would. I mean, how would you like to see them line up? Yeah, I think I think you hit it there and just saying that this is more than a friendly for the U.S. in a way, and that they they do want to win this game. It's clear that a lot of the players and, and those within the program see this game as a real kind of benchmark, uh, especially on the way to the Copa America and ultimately to the World Cup. And there aren't that many benchmarks like this. Uh, on the road to that World Cup just because of the way the scheduling works with the U.S. already being qualified. So there's only so many games where they can get 
you know, a quote unquote competitive atmosphere like this. So I think everyone wants to show well for themselves in this Germany game just because it does feel like a special sort of circumstance. So it'll be interesting to see how the U.S. approaches it, but also how Germany approaches it. Obviously, it's a different sort of camp for them being that they're under a new coach and Nagelsmann, they have a whole lot of upheaval going on. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort of approach that. But in terms of the U.S., you know, when you look at the team, I think you, you have to expect something close to a first choice lineup as close as you can get. Obviously, there's people missing. You know, there's no Tower Adams. Uh, there's no Anthony Robinson. So there's there's definitely some holes to be filled in there. But I, I don't think you're going to see... You know, I as as much fun as it would be to see someone like maybe like Leonard Maloney thrown in for his first cap, I think it'd be a pretty big ask to throw him in there for a first cap against Germany. So I think you're gonna see a lot of familiar faces in this game, at least at the start, just to kind of get get some sort of impression together of what this team looks like when they're playing a team that could that could really play with them, because that's not really something we saw during the last camp and maybe not something we really saw since the world cup. It's been, it's been pretty tough every time this, the full team has really been together. They've kind of made their, had their way with everyone in their way, you know, looking back to Canada and in Mexico and the nation's league, they, they really kind of handled those games most of the way. So it'll be interesting to see a team that could play with the U S and how the U S kind of handles a team that can go at them like that. And specifically with regards to the midfield, how would you like to see that midfield lined up? What would be your preference? I mean, I, it, it, it like we said the geo thing if we just assume he's going to get 45 minutes we'll say we could use that as a benchmark in an ideal world i think i'd like to see that 45 minutes in the first half where you get the most of the a team there you get fresh legs you get in theory what should be a pretty decent germany team out there i don't know how nagelsman's going to line up his first lineup and how he's going to rotate but you you would get something resembling what this team could look like at full strength I think that would be an ideal scenario rather than throwing him in there in the second half against tired legs and, and maybe seeing you know a little bit of an easier game for him. Now, the thing that complicates that is it's still up in the air how fit Gio is exactly just because we've only seen him play you know a couple minutes on the club level. But in an ideal world, if Gio is exactly 45 minutes fit, it would be fun to see him in those first 45 if he could. And other than that, you know, you want to see just like the, the A-team players and see how they handle it. I want to see what Flo Balogun looks like against, you know, top-level center backs. You know, I want to see how Christian Pulisic could bring his form over into to national team camp because it's, it's so often been the opposite with him where he takes good national team form into the club level. Now he's bringing good club form to the national team level. What does that all look like? Um, what does the center back pool look like? There's there's really like five, six, seven, eight guys battling for that spot right now. And some guys left off this roster that could still play a part. So what does that look like? There's a lot of questions, but there's a lot of guys in the pool that are playing at a high level. And I think that's what makes it so exciting is that while it used to be a struggle to fill holes, now it seems like there's a couple guys at every position that can make an impact. So it'll be fun to see who those guys are against an opponent like Germany. Yeah. You mentioned center back, which is one of the positions I'm most intrigued with. You know, I think when it comes to um, the lead up to the Copa America and the next World Cup, obviously, when I think about what we still need to learn about this team and building this team, it's mostly around depth. I think a lot of the starters maybe are, are, are pretty entrenched, but center back is one of those positions I think is completely wide open, even the the starting two. And there's probably four, five, six guys that are in the running, you know, for that. I think this is the first look we're going to have on who Greg Berhalter thinks is his top two since all the way back at the World Cup 
against the Netherlands. And so I'm real curious to see which two he rolls out there. Do you have any preference for which two you think should be out there against Germany? Yeah, like you said, it's tough just because when you look at the four guys that are in this camp, they all have a pretty strong case to be in that lineup. You know, Tim Ream is the veteran guy who has been so solid, you know, dating back to the World Cup. Miles Robinson would have probably been the guy at the World Cup if he was healthy. You know, he was very much like on that path. Chris Richards is the guy who's been with the national team, you know, when he has been in those moments, has stepped up and has had some fantastic games, even if they haven't necessarily translated to the club level. And Cameron Carter-Vickers, when you look at what he's been able to do with Celtic, what he has done when he's been on the field with the U.S., like he's made his case too. And that's not even getting into guys like Walker Zimmerman, getting into guys like, you know, Burhalter name-checked John Brooks the other day on his media call, which was a little surprise given how long he's been out of the national team. But there's just so many guys. For me, I, I think you have to keep giving Chris Richards looks just because he, I – I'm very much a believer that he is the future at that position. I have a lot of Chris Richard stock built up right now. I think uh, he is a player that that can play at a high level and, and will at some point. Obviously, center back's a tough position to break through, especially in the Premier League when you're a young center back. So it, it makes sense that it's taking a little bit of time. But yeah, I think Chris Richards needs to get a look. And then when you look at his partner, you know, do you want to go with the steadiness of Ream against Germany just to just to kind of have a veteran presence out there to lead the line against what should be a good German team? I think those are the two that I would go with if I was to to pick. But you can make an argument for any of them. And I, I don't think anyone should be too surprised if it goes with any number of these pairings. Yeah, I'm with you. I if I was a betting man, I think I would say Richards and Ream wouldn't be shocked if Miles Robinson was out there instead of Reem. I think Richards is the one I'm most confident in who will be out there. I mean, he started the last two matches in the, in the previous window. Cameron Carter-Vickers, I think because maybe he's, uh, yeah, he's a little, coming back he's from coming, injury. He's just yeah, back, so. he, he may be limited on minutes, but um, that'll be real interesting to see. And then the other kind of starting spot I'll be looking for in that lineup is the outside backs. Okay, so we got Serginho Dest, Juan Jones, Joe Scally, and Christopher Lund on the roster. Uh, Anthony Robinson, of course, is out. And so I'm real curious to see, okay, is Greg going to start one of these more natural left backs, Juan Jones, uh, Christopher Lund, and give them an opportunity? Or is he going to say, well, I know Joe Scally and Serginho Dest can play left or right, so I'm going to just stick with these guys that that have that have more experience. I mean, what's your feel on on which direction he he might go there, or which direction you think he he should go? Yeah, like you said, it's a tricky one, just because throughout the last cycle, due to the lack of left back backup to Robinson, you so often saw just Serginho Des tossed out there, and you called it a day. But now you're starting to see a few guys come through, you know, namely these two guys with uh London Dewan Jones. Um. I personally, like if I if I was in charge of everything, I'd like to see Lund get a chance just because he is such a mystery right now to the US and that he is so new. He looked solid in, you know, his debut camp. You know, you saw you know you saw the vision with him. You saw what he does. You know, he gets forward, he he adds a presence on, you know, going from end line to end line. You know, he's not going to be like the guy like Serginio Dest who's going to tuck in and create necessarily. He's the guy who's going to kind of get up and down and, and add some width and, and stretch the defense, which is solid on that side, assuming Christian Pulisic plays out there because if he cuts in, you have another guy out there that's going to be stretching the back line. So, you know, I'd like to see what he can do against a higher level opponent. 
it is going to be a big ask to just kind of chuck him out there against Germany and, you know, one of his first few caps. But, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of throw a player into deep water and, and see what happens. But, yeah, I would like to see – I would like to see Lund or Jones just because you want to learn more about them. You know, we have pretty, we have plenty of data on what Serginho Dest looks like. Joe Scally definitely deserves more opportunities, but it, it'd be nice to see him get more opportunities, you know, at right back, if that's going to be where he's going to play. So yeah, let's, let's give like the actual left backs a go this window and, and, and see what you have in those guys. Uh, just because you're going to only have so many chances to see it on the way to the Copa America. Yeah. I'm with you. My guess is it'll be Lund. It seems like he's a little higher in the pecking order right now than than Dewan Jones, but for either of them, I mean, what an opportunity it would be if they go out there and have a good game. They can really kind of solidify their roster spot going forward if they're able to do that. On the other yeah, hand, it's not it's not <laughs> even just roster spots though. Is that the other aspect of this that's that's kind of you know in the background that's so interesting is that this is this is one of those games that like can earn you a transfer if you play well enough especially for some of these younger guys like you know that there's going to be some Bundesliga teams watching this game so if you're one of those younger guys that could maybe use a step up the ladder like this this wouldn't be a bad game to show out in uh like you said just because you, you know that there's going to be some eyes on it so it's one of those games that can improve a player's starting status with the national team but also its status you know on the club level if if they catch someone's eye in the right way that's true. I think just the other day I was reading about Dewan Jones um, was getting some interest from from potentially some some Bundesliga teams. So that's that's a great point. Well, let's uh, let's fast forward to okay. The lineups have come out. The game, the match has gotten underway. What are you going to be looking for there in terms of um, I don't know maybe some tactics you'll be watching for certain players you want to keep an eye on. I mean, what are you going to be watching for when this when this match gets underway? So I think the most interesting thing about this game is just how how it is played. Just because we've gotten so many data points of the U.S. and how they play when they are the A side of the game, when they are the team that has the ball, when they are the team that's largely in control, not necessarily even having the ball, but in control of the pace, when, you know, when they're dictating what the game kind of looks like. And since the World Cup, we haven't really had a game where you get a look at the U.S. where they're on the back foot. You know, they got they got obviously a glimpse of that at the World Cup. You know, the Wales game, they they were kind of they were dominating most of the game, the Iran game, but England game and, and the Netherlands game, like that's what's gonna happen in these big games where the other team's gonna dictate the play, the other team's gonna have the game played on their terms, whether they're sitting back and countering or whether they're bossing the ball. So how does the US seize back control of a game like that? And obviously it's tough in a friendly against a Germany team under a new coach that's going to be kind of identifying their own style of play. But you just want to see how the U.S. handles the game and how it is played. Are they able to play the game on their terms, whatever terms, whatever tactics that is? You know, do, Are they able to, to make Germany uncomfortable in any way and, and, and challenge Germany? So, yeah, it's not necessarily like these little micro battles, although that is important. But the macro is how do they handle the, the bigger picture of playing a team at this level just because – like in theory, next summer that's what's going to happen when you play in Argentina or Brazil in a Copa America. You know they're going to dictate the game. How do you respond to it? How do you handle it? And how do you kind of seize moments where you can kind of take control yourself? So yeah, that's that's what I want to see. It's just whether whatever the tactics are, whatever the strategy is. Can I look at this game and say like, all right, the U.S. had moments where they were kind of handling things here. So yeah, that's that's kind of all we're going to be looking for. Just because the personnel will change, some of the things will change, the tactics will change, but how they kind of handle that moment is going to be a big a big answer for everything on the road to next summer and then the summers beyond. 
Yeah, and I think you touched on that's what I'm most interested in seeing too. I mean, namely, like how aggressive are they and how how much do they try and impose their style on Germany versus kind of sitting back? I mean, when I think back to that Netherlands game, you know, it, it seemed like they were aggressive and tried to impose their style in the Netherlands and, and a lot of people afterwards kind of like chastised them for, chastised them for it saying, yeah, they, they, that's what they wanted you to do. They were they were waiting for you on the counterattack, and that's where you played right in, into their hands. You were you were too aggressive, maybe. And so I'm wondering, are they just going to go for it? Are they do they learn from that Netherlands game and maybe take I don't know a little bit more cautious approach or have a little bit more of a I don't know, for lack of a term, safety system in place for just in case like things go wrong. It's going to be it's going to be super interesting and can they impose like their style of play uh, against Germany? I think yeah, we're to the point now where where we want this program to go. It's like it's not enough to be like, "Hey, man, we played a good good match against Germany. That's that's a good thing for the US." I mean, it's like if we're going to progress, we have to start winning these matches and being able to like impose our style and I don't know. You never know until you get into these big games like the yeah, ones in Germany. The the one thing is also is that you know historically like this program has always gotten up for these games dating back you know twenty twenty five years. You know these games have always been moments where the U.S. team has stepped up. You know I think back to like Bobby Wood just like absolutely lighting up top teams under Jurgen Klinsmann. You know when they these games do roll around, especially these friendlies, the U.S. is always up for them. The mentality is always the right play, uh, the right way, but. They haven't necessarily, like you know, like we said, been the team that has been the the A side, the dominant side in those games. And I'm not necessarily saying they're going to be against Germany, but can we see something a little bit more than what we have in the past? Obviously, winning is the goal, so you know, try and win by any means necessary. But there's also something to be said about, like we said, doing it on your terms and doing it in a different way. So yeah, can they make Germany uncomfortable? Can they put them on the back foot? Can they make life hard for Germany's attack? You know, can they? maybe go out and you know the midfield battle is going to be tough given the absences but can they can they win the midfield battle you know there's just so many different little interesting battles that'll come from this game but yeah it should be a fun one and a good measuring stick for for all these different units and different players let's talk about germany a a little bit and uh, how the u.s matches up with them i mean you know we're catching germany at a good time where they seem to be a little bit down right now i mean if you look at uh, germany right now they're uh, in the FIFA rankings, they're number 15. ELO ratings, number 13. Last World Cup, they did not make it out of the group stage. Since the World Cup, they've played seven matches, uh, two wins, four losses, one tie. Their coach was recently fired. Julian Nagelsmann, this is going to be his first match with the team. I mean, what do you know about Germany's squad, and, and how do you think the U.S. You know, matches up with them? Yeah, so I think, like you said, this is a really interesting time to catch Germany just because theoretically they do feel like a team that's pressing the reset button. But then you also look at their last window and they got the snot beat out of them by Japan, which like realistically, no shame of that. Japan is a really, really good team. But then they came out and just beat France, you know, and that's, you know, whether it's a friendly, whatever the the situation is, France is, is so loaded that beating them is an accomplishment no matter who you are at this point. So, yeah, Germany's a team they've just got, 
look, you know what you're going to get with them. They've, they've got so much talent. All these players that play in the Bundesliga, the Premier League, you know, La Liga, like wherever all these guys are, there's there's so much talent in this team. And, and it's a mix of young and old. You know, when you look at the squad, like you see all the familiar names that, that you've kind of been watching for years. You see, you know, Thomas Muller in there. You see Antonio Rudiger. You see, you know, Ter Stegen, Mats Hummels, like all these big name guys. But then you also see the next generation coming up and Florian Verts and Jamal Musiala. Like they have these attacking midfielders that are just so dynamic. You see a guy like Kai Havertz, who is obviously a familiar face, but is still only 24 and still kind of figuring his whole life out over there. So, yeah, it's it's a team that's very much in transition, but also a team that just has so much depth in different age ranges that they can kind of handle that transition a little bit differently than say the U.S. did a few years ago where they pressed total reset and just started with a bunch of 19 and 20 year old kids and figured it out from there. You know, this is a more soft transition under a new coach. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what type of lineup Nagelsmann goes with in this first game. Does he trend young? Does he give some of these younger options a chance? You know, you're looking at the squad. There's a couple guys in here for their first caps or, or their early caps. You know, do those guys get a lookout in this game? And, and how much does he kind of rely on the veterans to kind of set a tone early? You know, the pressure is going to be on to, to get wins in these first few camps for them. You know, this isn't – they're not going to be patient necessarily. So there's going to be pressure for them to go out and try and win this game just to kind of set a tone for what this national team is going to look like heading towards the Euros. So what does that kind of look like and, and how quickly do they kind of transition towards some of these younger players as some of these older players fa- uh, phase out after the World Cup and heading towards the Euros? Okay, so we've, you know, we spent most of the podcast talking about Germany, but the U.S. has another opponent uh, right after that, Ghana. When you look at that Ghana match, is there anything unique to that match you'll be looking out for in terms of like how the USMNT plays um, you know, relative to the Germany game, or is it just more of the same? No, it's. I think it's a very different type of game. When I first looked at it, my first thought was like, oh, nice, another rivalry game against Ghana. And then, you know, I looked at the U.S. roster and I was just like, yeah, absolutely. None of these guys have been a part of that. You know, this is there has been so much changeover from that last World Cup game against Ghana that uh, it is it is a very different looking player pool. So I got that out of my mind really quickly. And I think I realized the thing that I'm most interested in this game, and it, it kind of goes back to the point I was making about the Germany game in that we've seen a lot of games where the U.S. is the dominant team. We've seen games where they are the underdog team, but necessarily we haven't seen as many game of where they're going to be playing a team that's like very much on a similar talent level to them. And that's what you're going to kind of get against Ghana and that you look at their team and and you see you see familiar faces. You see guys that play in the Premier League, you know, every week. You see guys that are playing at a very similar level to a lot of these U.S. teams. You know, Inaki Williams is a, is a La Liga starter. Jordan Ayew has been in the Premier League forever. Kudus plays for West Ham. Thomas Party plays for Arsenal. Like these are guys who are playing at big clubs in the same way that Christian Pulisic plays for AC Milan, and you know, uh, Weston McKennie plays for Juventus. Like these are all guys who are playing at a high high level. So. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like, just because it seems like this is a little bit more evenly matched. You know, you could argue that the U.S. has more talent, surely, but it's definitely close. You know, so when you look at that, I want to see when you have two teams who who are kind of on the same page in terms of where they are. How can the U.S. kind of take that little edge and become the the top team in the game? How can they assert themselves against a team where the talent is pretty even? You know, when you look at you know, like we said, the Netherlands game, it was always going to be kind of on the Netherlands 
uh, you know, they're going to kind of dictate what they want to do. In this game, who's going to be able to dictate what they want to do? So, yeah, I think that's what's going to be the interesting thing is how do you kind of match up against a team where it should be relatively even and it should be a relatively good matchup for, for everybody in there? Yeah, I mean, we've had some epic battles against Ghana, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in previous World Cups. They could have, they should have, been, they should have, uh, brought john brooks in uh just just for, for that uh, just for that yep. you know maybe he could get another his header against them where he scored the goal against gone in what was that the 2014 yep. world cup i mean that's one of my favorite uh usmnt moments uh, i always remember where i was uh when i was watching that match but yeah i was a little surprised actually when i was i was looking at these rankings i know the rankings you know say what you will about them how accurate they are but gone is Number 60 in the FIFA rankings, number 63 in the ELO ratings. A little bit surprised at how low they were because this is a good team. They didn't make it out of their World Cup group stage, but they had a good showing at the World Cup, you know, nonetheless. One thing that intrigues me is that they were the youngest team at the 2022 World Cup. You know, there's a lot of talk about this U.S. team and how young they were. But I think once we added Tim Ream to our roster, that bumped our age up a little yeah. bit and Ghana became the youngest up. team. And then the U.S. was the second youngest team. And so these are two really young teams. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see uh, who can impose their will you know, on each other. And the U.S. has had a lot of problems with Ghana in the past. So this one's going to be real fun to watch. You know, kind of as we wrap up here, I just want to get a feel from you in terms of like what your expectations are uh, result wise. I mean, like after these two matches are are done with, when you look back on this window, what will good look like for you? Yeah, that's a tough one just because at the end of the day, they are still friendlies. And while everyone may start a friendly with the best intentions, like things kind of change depending on what happens. You know, you could look at a game where you get 45 minutes of two teams like really going at it. And then subs come in at halftime and kind of take the edge out of the game a little bit because the talent level drops off. So it's so tough to like project necessarily what a good result would look like, you know, does a one nil loss to a Germany team that plays their a team, the whole game look better than a two, one win against a heavily rotated Germany. Like, I don't know, like that's a tough kind of question to answer, but yeah, I think what you're looking for is, I think you do want at least one result from these two games just because you want to be able to point to something and be like, hey, we did what we had to do in that game to get out because this is a team that that at this point still needs to learn how to kind of win these games. We know that they can win against teams that are less talented than them, but we still need to see them win against teams that are of the same talent or or more, you know, the U. The, there's only so many Canada Mexico games, and it, it was those. That was a good data point, seeing them win those Nations League games. But we need to see more of it against teams that play different styles, that play at a different level, that have different sorts of players with different experiences. So yeah, I think you do want at least. It would be great to get one win in these games, just so you could point to the break as, hey, look, we learned something here. Uh, we proved that we could do this and that. But yeah, realistically, a lot of it's going to be focusing on what individual players can do and what this team collectively could do over stretches to kind of show that they've improved from the team that, you know, like we said, kind of fell into the Netherlands hands basically a year ago. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle things a little bit differently this time around. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me before I let you go. First of all, please let people know where they can go if they want to see more of your work 
And um, also, please feel free to share any final thoughts you have about these two matches or anything USMNT related. Yeah, you know, to follow more of, of what's going on, please, you know, come check out Goal. We got we got a whole lot going on in terms of just American soccer in general. So yeah, please come check that out. And yeah, it's a you know I think I was talking to you right before we actually started here about how it's just been such an exciting time for American soccer over the last you know six months and kind of looking ahead. And it doesn't feel like it's slowing down at all. You know, you look at where we are in terms of the men's national team building towards the Copa America, the women's national team fresh off a World Cup, new start heading into an Olympics. You got Messi going at MLS. You have, you know, the U23s heading to the Olympics. It's just a big chaotic time in American soccer. So, yeah, it's very fun to kind of be following all and following it all and sitting down and discussing it with you and, and kind of talking through all these different fun things that we're getting to do. So, yeah, this should be a fun break should be a good time. It should be a good test for this national team. And yeah, it's just another step in this, this crazy little road we're all kind of following as we march towards next summer and then ultimately the world, the world cup. So yeah, a lot more, a lot more big games to come. And it, it's good to have these ones to really set us up for what's going on in, in the next few years. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening to here and abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza. You can follow me on Twitter slash X at Frank Garza 007, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.